So, <laughs> a funny story. I was asked to preach at a Presbyterian church. And it's a, it's a high church, a Presbyterian church. Um, it's not as informal as we tend to do things around here. And so they gave me this as a gift to wear uh, when I would speak. It's not really my style. I, I, uh, I've never worn the vestments before. I actually wasn't allowed to wear this because this has a color on it. Oh, the stripes? These, there's, like, there's three stripes? Three stripes mean... I have an MDiv, and I don't, so I can't wear it because I'm not good enough to wear this vestment. I'm not educated enough to wear this. But this is a classic, this, okay, back in the day doing church, people would often wear the vestments. I read a book recently um, about church and following Jesus and loving people. It was a great book. I mean, I'm reading chapter, chapter, and every chapter is encouraging me. It's ministering to me. And then, out of nowhere, there's a chapter in this book saying, and if you are a pastor, you better wear the holy vestments. And the guy spends 30 pages blowing up all the liberal pastors who have taken off the robes. And I was like, man, I thought I was cool, and now I learned I'm not. So listen. This outfit, I know it's weird, it has a purpose in today's message. I'm going to wear it for a little bit, and I already feel the heat of it. This thing keeps the heat close to the body. It's like a stinking Snuggie wearing this thing. But uh, <laughs> we are in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. Uh, I, I, I thank you so much, Lena, for reading for us today. Um, now, you might hear some babies today because today is Family Sunday, the fifth Whenever there's our fifth Sunday in a month, whenever a given month have five Sundays, the fifth Sunday is always family Sunday, which means we give all of our nursery and kids workers the day off. And everyone can come and sit together. You might hear babies squawking, and if your baby is crying, don't feel bad because babies cry. Babies crying, what up, dude? Babies crying, sorry, the little kid waving at me. Um, babies crying is a sign of life. We want babies crying and running around the church and tearing stuff up. We, because that's the future of the faith. So we're glad for all the babes and kids here at our church. So we're in Acts 13. Now, we got a lot of ground to cover. I asked my wife, should I read all 52 verses? Because there's kids in the room. My, my daughter just went, I saw my daughter like recoil in horror. Um, and she's like, Ernest, you shouldn't read 50 verses. It's just us in the room. So I'm going to work my way and summarize our way through the text today. But here's where we're at. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are on their first missionary journey. They're traveling, and they have just gone to the entire island of Cyprus, preached the gospel. They've now traveled back to the mainland of Asia near Greece. This is what happens next. Verse 13. Now Paul is, sorry, chapter 13 and verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga, came to Antioch and Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. 
After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, said these words. So, Paul and Barnabas and John are all through this island of Cyprus. They come to the mainland. When they get there, their team of three becomes a team of two. One of their dudes leaves. He's like, man, I didn't know this would be so hard. I'm going back home. And he leaves. So it's just Paul and Barnabas left. And they go to this new city, Antioch Pisidian, and they do what they always do. See, there is a method the apostles use when telling new places about Jesus. They would always start the ministry in a synagogue. It was always the first step. They'd come into a new place. They'd go to the Jewish house of worship, and they would tell the Jews there about Jesus. That's what they did in every single new city. That was their method. That's how they started a new work in any given city. Now, Paul's going to preach a message, and this message, again, it is like 50 verses long. I'm going to break down the message for you. Just, I'm going to give you like a summary of it, okay? Paul's sermon has three major points to it. Paul is going to walk through the history of Israel. We were in slavery in Egypt. Moses led us out. We wandered in the wilderness. Saul was our king. David was our king. And you're reading like, okay, I get it, dude. You're going through the entire Israeli history. But there's a purpose to what Paul's talking about. I'm going to read a few verses for you. So 13 and verse 23. Of David, of David, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised Verse 27, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Jesus nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. Verse 32, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Do you hear the theme as he walks the history of Israel? Paul is not just going through the greatest hits of Israel. What Paul is doing is Paul is showing that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every single promise given to the Jewish people. And that's part of the message. The first thing I want to say about Paul's sermon is this. We read Paul's sermon here. And what Paul preached is what Peter preached. And what Peter preached is what Jesus preached. And what Jesus, Peter, and Paul preached is what we still preach. Because here's the fact of the matter. The message never changes. The message never changes. What Paul said, we still say. Jesus fulfilled every single promise God gave to the nation. I go to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. We sing a song today, true story. When I first heard this song yesterday, men, I didn't like the song. I, I disliked the song. I'm like, man, I thought it was a little too happy, too happy-go-lucky. I'm like, Jesus is not every yes and amen of God. And then I would read the Bible one day, 
And I'm reading chapter 1, verse 20 of the Bible. It says this, of 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Jesus is God's yes. Every promise God made to his people. Every promise fulfilled in Christ. That is part of the eternal message. Is that everything that we're looking for, everything we need, Jesus is God's yes to us. I'm afraid. So was Jesus, who felt exactly what you feel. I've been betrayed by my friends. Oh, you've been betrayed? So has Jesus, who knows where you've been, and he'll walk with you through it. We have a mediator who has felt what we feel, who can understand our suffering. Jesus is God's yes. He fulfills every single promise God made to his people. That's part of Paul's message. It's the part we preach the least, I think, as a church. I think we don't realize that I heard a preacher once say recently, a famous Bible teacher once say, we don't need the old covenant any longer. We don't need the stories of Moses or David or Abraham. That's crazy talk. The old covenant lays the foundwork of God's movement in humanity. And we see the promises. They're building like a wave. It's like, um, if you've ever been in the ocean? I was born on the ocean. I was born in Corpus Christi, Texas. Now, I like Michigan. Lake Michi the Great Lakes of Michigan are wonderful lakes. They're nice. They're nice. But you go to the ocean. There's waves in the oceans. The, the Great Lakes get little, you know, a little bit. Look at your ankles wet. But in the ocean, you can watch a wave, and you know when it's coming because you see like the, the, the water start like piling on itself, and you're like, oh man, and it's gonna come. And my brother, well, we did as kids, we'd go, go and we'd stay on the shore, and we loved when a wave would hit you and knock you into the sand. It was so fun as a kid. The promises of God are like this, this, this huge wave just building and building, and you're like, this wave's gonna crush somebody. And that wave's that wave finds its fulfillment. All these promises are added and added. And like, who can fulfill all these promises? And the answer is Jesus. Not only is Christ the answer to all of God's promises, but in Paul's message, you find this truth that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried. Jesus died on the cross and rose again. That's part of the message. And we still proclaim that message. Jesus Christ died and rose again. It's not a myth. We didn't make it up. It happened in real history. We have Roman documents saying, Roman's like, and we killed Jesus on this day. Like we, we, we know The death of Christ is not a historical argument. This guy ticked off somebody and they crucified him. That happened. Also, no one knows where the guy's buried because he's not there anymore. This is what, I'll go to Acts 13 again. This is what Paul says as he's preaching. Paul says, 
though they, verse 28, 13, 28, and though they found in Christ no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Paul talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's part of our message. And any church worth its salt has to keep proclaiming that Christ died and Christ has risen. It's why we as a church, once a month, take communion. It helps us remember Christ died that we may live. We, for us, it's not just Easter for us. Not that once a year we're like, the cross is something, dude. No, we know the cross. How did Christ fulfill the promises? The answer is through the cross. That's how Christ fulfilled all that stuff. Christ died and then beat death. I always thought of it this way. I always thought, man, it's like the devil and Jesus are playing chess, and Jesus gets checkmate and still wins. Like, or the devil gets checkmate, and Jesus, Jesus cheats. He's like, you, did, you, you, you done killed me, but I'm back. It's, it's, it's great. He, they, 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 you, you, you got him on the ropes, and he still wins because death cannot hold him. Cannot hold him. We do not worship a dead Savior. My Savior lives. There's that old hymn, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. When I pray, I'm not praying to my bed or to my sheets. I'm not praying to my couch. I don't know where you pray at. I don't, maybe, I'm not praying to my car, but I'm praying in my car. It's not a dashboard confessional, if you will. When we pray, we pray to and through our Christ who lives who listens and still speaks. So our message includes Christ fulfills every promise. Our message must include Christ died and rose again. But it also must include what that death accomplishes. Listen to what, it's all over Paul's sermon. He says this, he says things like this. He goes, um, what Lena read, Verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. The cross forgives us of our sins. It forgives us from the wicked we have done. Christ dies that we may live, and Christ died that we may live free from the crushing guilt that we all bear through our moral dirtiness. Some Christians will pretend they've done no evil. If you look in the mirror and get real, that person looking back at you has done some horrible things. Well, I ain't never killed nobody. Come on. Stop playing. We've all been the bad guy. And we like to tell every story as though I did nothing wrong. Who are we, who are we lying to? 
the message never changes. For the church of Jesus Christ, we've been preaching the same message for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, we've been saying, Jesus fulfills every promise. Jesus died on the cross, and through his resurrection, we can have forgiveness for our sins. We can become adopted and become part of God's family. That message never changes. But listen to this. After Paul preaches his whole sermon, something weird happens. Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. Come back next week. After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout followers, devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. They're like, listen, keep listening, keep praying, seek Jesus. Verse 44, and the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke up boldly, saying, so everyone's yelling at him. He goes, listen, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Paul goes, you know what? For all these years, we've been coming to the Jews primarily. We go to the synagogue, we preach to the Jewish people, but you guys keep saying no and throwing rocks at us and throwing us out of the synagogue. He goes, from now on, we're not coming into this worship house to tell you guys first. We're going to the pagans. We're going to the lost, the imprisoned. We're not coming to the well-dressed, well-spoken folk. We're going people who worship statues and kill goats. We're going to the people called dirty by society. We're going to the Gentiles, the pagans. And all of a sudden, something listen to what happens next. The Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, when the pagans hear that the message is coming to them, what do they do? They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. The pagans start getting saved. They are like, tell us about the God who loves us. Tell me about. Tell me there's more than superstition. There's more than praying to an empty statue. Tell me there's more. As they hear this message, they begin responding. Because here's the reality. The message can never change. It, if a church changes the message, don't go to that church. Don't go. If they stop preaching Jesus, the cross, and forgiveness of sins, don't go to that church. If they've left that, they've left Christ. The method can never change. The message can never change. The message can never change, but the methods can. The methods can. Listen, they used to, every single city they went to, in every city, they went to the Jews first in the synagogue. And starting in this city, 
they changed up their strategy. Listen, a hundred years ago, everyone wore these bad boys. And it showed the world you were a holy man of God. Woo! I got three stripes, baby! But here's the reality. The message cannot change. Hold on. But the message, the methods, the methods have to change. The world, oh man, woo, I can breathe. I mean that literally and figuratively. I literally, this morning, on my walk with my dog, I was doing a podcast on my secret headphones. You're not going to believe this, gang. You're not going to believe this. Listen to this missionary. They went to a church, and that church they went to believed that the, they believe in the old-time religion, that how grandpappy did it, how everybody should do it. And this missionary got a call in the mission field. They were interviewing him. Got a call in the mission field, and this church, old-school church, believes women cannot wear pants. Women should wear skirts and skirts alone. <laughs> All the women are like, boo! This missionary got a call on the mission field from the church saying, uh, excuse me, brother so-and-so, we, we want to know, does your wife wear a gown or pajama pants to sleep? And the pastor was like, or the missionary was like, uh, she wears SpongeBob pants. What do you want from me? She wears pajama pants. And they cut his funding. They dropped him as a missionary because she done wear pajamas in her own bed. That's wrong. And that church, listen, some churches believe the methods cannot change the way we did it yesterday, the way we was doing it tomorrow. But listen, as the culture changes, sometimes we must find new methods to reach people with the eternal message. The message has not changed. The methods do. We had a couple come to church here. And they loved it here. They came here and said, man, we go to a church. We have seen no one saved and baptized in seven years. We've seen no one come to Jesus and get baptized in seven years. And I'm like, oh, man. They came here. Now, they're from a very traditional. No drums. It was piano and hymns. And they came to this house. And they met him for a few months. They came to him as a pastor. We love seeing God reach people, reach the lives of addicts or inmates or troubled youth of our city. We love to see people get saved and baptized, but we can't handle that drum set. They love the message, but to them, the method changed. I got to walk away from you. You're doing, doing things differently than I do it. I don't like it. True story. Me and my boy James sit in the back, the real tall guy here at church. You'll know him if you see him. We were in our little town we lived in, and we both came to like, we both like cards. I like poker. I watched, I watched the, the World Series of Poker. I watched it on TV. I was watching it like, get him. I, was, I love watching it. Yes. <laughs> and we heard there was a poker tournament at the bowling alley. And it was like you play every week at points, and whoever won the league went to the districts and the regionals. And they could, they, if they won all the way to the state, they get, way, they, they get their whole trip paid to Vegas to play the World Series. 
So me and James are like, you know what we should do, dude? We should go to this place and play cards for fun, but let's just meet all these people that don't know us, and let's not tell anyone we're pastors. We're going undercover. <laughs> and we're just going to love people the way Jesus loved them, and maybe we'll see people come to the Lord. That's a crazy method, playing poker for Jesus, right? That's a, some people might say, duh, that's a card of the devil, cards of the devil. And listen, we played for no money. It was no money. It was all just like playing chips. It was fun. All the money I spent was about the nachos and coke every week. Um, I go every week. We play. And our heart was to be around people who may meet no Christians at all in their life, but would meet a few at the poker table on that given, was it Tuesday or Thursday? I don't remember what it was. I don't know. That was a very out-of-the-box method. The method can change, but the message never changes. I have a friend in Chicago. Oh, man, there's kids in the church. Okay, um, I'll, 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 I'll G it up. I'll G it up. I had a buddy of mine in Chicago. And my, this guy came to, to my school, and he was pretty hardcore. He didn't fit at all in the, in the Christian school world, but he came because he wanted to hear the word because he was from Chicago and wanted to see Christ reach people that were the most lost. So he would go out, no joke, he'd go out in the street corners. His ministry started at 11 p.m. at night. He'd go to street corners and hang out with all the guys who were there selling themselves for business. I think you understand my meaning. I, I just kid, I'm not going to go further. He would go hang out with young guys and just bring them hot chocolate when it was cold. Just talk to them, get to know them. And tell them. They just, and sometimes he'd cut short because the car would pull up, the dude would jump in, they'd leave. But he'd go there every week, get to know the guys that did this business. And his goal and his hope was to meet these young guys and let them know, man, God has something better for you than this. You're more than this. God wants to deliver you from this lifestyle. You're more than this. Now, he had a problem happen, though. A lot of the guys would use drugs while they waited. They'd make money, they'd use drugs, and people were sharing needles, and they were getting um, HIV. So he was all confused. He was, he was um, upset about it. He was saddened about it. What do I do? And he, came to, he came to the brothers one day, and he said, man, he's like, he's like, I have guys, they're dying from these diseases they're getting out on the street. He's like, if we provided clean needles, is that okay? And I'm like, wow, I don't even, I, I didn't, listen, I don't know. I'm not even saying what he did was right or wrong. But I know his heart. He's like, I want to keep these guys alive as long as I can, that maybe one of them meets Jesus. That's a tough spot. No, some people called him Satan for doing what he did. Now, I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying I know what he did was right or wrong. I don't know. But I do know there weren't any of the Christians out there at 11 p.m. on a second Saturday night. The message can never change. The methods do. It's okay to have a drum set on the stage. It's okay to wear a gray shirt and blue jeans every day of your life. It is okay. <laughs> Including on Sunday. Listen. One of my top five churches I ever walked into my whole life, a church I loved dearly, went through a massive church split, 
and the bad guys won. <laughs> and the week after they won the fight and kicked the pastor out, the week after they won the fight, a guy got up to preach and said, he, he was in a suit and tie, he goes, if you met the president, you wear a tie. If you come to the house of God, you better wear a tie. The, the, the people fought a war to make everyone wear nice clothes on Sunday. Someone once told my daughter, you got to wear a dress to come to church. She came to me, Dad, do you got to wear a dress to come to church? And I thought about it. I'm like, sweet girl, do you know so-and-so from the homeless shelter next door? She said, yeah, I know her. Like, aren't you glad she's at church every week? Oh, I'm so glad she's at church every week. I'm like, she doesn't have a dress. Can she not come to church? She thought about it. She was like five years old. She'd go, or six years old. She's like, she can come to church. I'm like, that's right. The person that told you this, they're wrong. They're wrong. The methods can change. The message never changes. Last night, we gave out sugar. We gave out candy. We did tr Some people say Halloween's, of the, uh, Halloween's evil of the devil. People say that all the time. I think someone came in today and said, happy Halloween, some lady. She's like, like that, that, people, like, that happens. Listen, last night we had trunks decorated. And everyone, that, everyone that came out last night, thank you so much. It was awesome. We had three churches, a Pentecostal church, a high robe-wearing church, and whatever the crap we are, all together. All together, serving the Lord. That's, that's, that, is, that makes God happy. The Pentecostal, the non-denominational, the high church, all hanging out, serving Jesus together, makes God happy. And we decorated our, our trunks and had little, like, there was policemen out there, there was Mario out there, it was, it was so fun. And all we did was let our community know we're here and we care. We're here and we care. If you ever have if you ever come to a place you have need, you know where to come. Because we're here and we care. And we care because the, we know there is a God and he loves you too. That is an odd method. But we do things like that to reach the culture we live in. The message never changes. But methods can. I'm not saying wearing robes is bad. My Presbyterian brothers, it's so hot. I can't even tell you how hot that robe was. <laughs> listen, if they want to wear robes, listen, I had a buddy on the street from me. This guy always wore his uh, priest collar, and he was a good-looking man. And, and a priest collar, he wore a priest collar. I'm like, I've never looked that dignified one day in my whole life. That's not bad to wear the collar. You're allowed. If you want to go to church that only sings just piano and hymns, that's not bad. You're, you have freedom in Christ, but when you say, my method is the only way, then you've crossed the line. Yes. There's freedom in the Lord. Yes. There's freedom. If you hear listen to Christian rap, I say amen. Christian metal, amen. Christian radio, whatever you like. If it's glorifying Christ, I say, I'm with you. Let's glorify Christ however we can. So church, the message is very simple today. The message never changes, but our methods can. Paul changed his, and we can change ours. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that is true. For your preachers, for, for your son Jesus Christ, for Peter, for Paul, for Barnabas, for Apollos. 
for all these servants who proclaimed your word. Let us inherit that word and keep on proclaiming it to our friends, our neighbors, our family. But Lord, let us hold the message strongly and truly. But give us a heart for our neighbors, our actual real neighbors who don't know you're real, who don't know you love them, who are lost in their own pain with no hope. Let us care more about them than the way we've always done things. Father, give us the wisdom and discernment to hold that message tightly as we navigate reaching a fallen and broken world. We love you very much, Jesus. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.